Thousands of people have gathered to hear Jesus teach. In fact, in the verses leading up to the encounter we just heard, Luke's Gospel tells us that there are so many people there that day that they are stepping on each other's feet as they push forward, straining to hear what the teacher is saying. And Jesus begins teaching about what the road ahead will be like. There will be trials. There will be tribulation. Some of the disciples may possibly be put to death. But he assures the gathered that no matter how dark it gets, God will not forget you. Even to knowing the number of hairs on your head. And then from the middle of the crowd comes this. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Really? Yes. How often do we do this? Here they are in the midst of this incredibly intense moment with Jesus, and someone wants him to settle a dispute with a sibling. Now, we don't know how this took place. We don't know what motivated this demand. It could have been totally legitimate. One brother taking for himself what was to be shared with the other. Here, though, I'm going to trust that Jesus is able to discern accurately what is before him. Because he does not involve himself with that dispute at all. Instead, Jesus cuts to what he believes lies beneath it. Okay, you're concerned with injustice, he says. Well, then I have two words for you. Watch out. It's what our translation this morning gives us as take care. But the Greek points to seeing something in front of you. This is a warning from Jesus to this brother and to the thousands who are gathered there and, well, not just to them. A more accurate translation might be, look around, pay attention, watch out, because you are in incredibly dangerous territory. The question about inheritance really is a red herring, but the impulse underneath it is very real. And to me, it feels very familiar. And it is treacherous. Because it has to do with greed. What one translator defines as the strong desire to acquire possessions irrespective of need. The strong desire 
to acquire possessions irrespective of need. It's about taking from the world around you so that you have it. Not that you actually need it, but the desire to possess it can be so overwhelming that you take it so that you hold on to it so that you keep it because you never know when you just might need it. And so that we cannot miss the danger that is all around us, Jesus tells another story. He tosses it alongside. It's a story about a rich farmer who has come into an unexpected bumper crop. And the farmer thinks to himself, now that's kind of interesting in and of itself as a storytelling device, but it makes me wonder, is he, is he talking to himself because there's no one else around him? In any case, this farmer thinks to himself, what should I do with this abundance that I have received? Now I'm going to press pause here. What are some possible responses to the dilemma that this farmer faces? Give some away. Sell it and make lots of money. Save it for a rainy day. Replant. You could probably plant lots of fields. Set it on fire, use it for a campfire. Another choice. Well, in the first person universe that this farmer lives in, there only seems to be one answer, which is to build bigger barns for himself. To keep it, to hold on to it. Why? Well, why not? He's entitled to it, isn't he? It's his land. Those are his tools. Those are his workers. It's his abundance. He'll be set for life. He'll no longer need to worry. There'll be no stress. He can just relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, Jesus is actually quoting Isaiah here, but he's just leaving off the next line, which is, for tomorrow we die. Now, to be clear, is Jesus against relaxing? No. He actually seems to care a great deal about the Sabbath. Is Jesus against eating? No, he seems to do this all the time. <laughs> Is Jesus against drinking? Again, no. Uh, in fact, he reports that some call him a glutton and a drunkard. Now, the merry part, we don't have a whole lot of information. But if you're going to be doing the first three, it might follow. So then what is it? Why is wealth or the lack of need so dangerous? 
I was in conversation not too long ago with a friend who is serving a church that had seen some difficult times. And remarkably, they had just come into a sizable bequest from a faithful parishioner. A bequest that was big enough to pay off their million-dollar mortgage. So what did they do? They took that money and put it into an endowment so that the principal would never be touched and so that they can supplement their budgets with some of those earnings forever. Now, this is not an unusual response. Right? To want to provide for future uncertainty by aggregating and setting aside money now. Truth be told, there are scores of churches who have substantial endowments with very few members to enjoy those fruits. A couple decades ago, there was an Episcopal church in Midtown Manhattan that had been endowed by J.P. Morgan. And in their last few years, the roughly 12 people who attended heard lovely music by exquisitely paid musicians while they looked at four-color bulletins. That church building is now a nightclub. Now, I understand this impulse. I really do, because I feel it too. To want to have something that will sustain us, no matter how severe the weather will be or how voracious the insects will get. But here I follow the lead of the Canadian Bishop Jane Alexander. She stunned many of us at a gathering several years ago when she said that as a church, we have to stop living off of the faith of dead people. We have to stop living off of the faith of dead people. There is something wrong with never having need. It is destructive to those in need around us. It is destructive to us. We become numb to the needs of the world. And we become numb to the life that beats within us. And whenever we do this, and we do this in myriad ways, whenever we do this, we always think that it's going to offer us greater ease, which in fact, it inevitably leads to dis-ease. That's why over time I've come to believe that endowments in churches might actually be against my religion. And it raises one of the dilemmas that Jesus desperately wants us to see this morning. How to live with the risks of being alive. Again, this week we do not need to be reminded of the risks that we face. The mass shootings in Gilroy and El Paso and Dayton. They are indelible reminders that any given day could be our last. And so often our impulse is to attempt to eliminate any risk or need. If I can do that, I'll be safe. 
I'll be loved, I'll be successful, I'll be in control, it will all be all right. And the palpable temptation is to build a life where I don't have need for anything or anyone. And so, bigger barn by bigger barn, I close myself off from any need that I might have, any risk that I might encounter. Meanwhile, people starve around me, and my soul, the very breath of life within, slowly dissipates. The need and risk of life is real, and it is always present. The question faced by the rich man surrounds us still. What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Many over centuries have said that this parable is actually a mirror. When you look into it, what do you see this morning? What do we need to watch for? What bigger barns are you and I building?